Good morning. So we're uh, a lot of you here a couple weeks ago when Doug uh, Cloven preached when he gave the talk. Remember how he ended pretty early? You know, that's not going to happen today. Um, <laughs> you probably knew that when I stood up, but it was great to have Doug here. And Teresa and I were uh, blessed to be gone a couple of uh, Sundays. We we're only gone about eight days, but we got to worship in other places. And last week we celebrated communion and heard the preaching of one of our own, uh, John Moss, just down the road at Prairie Chapel. So that was a blessing. And I, uh, but I, uh, we kind of enjoyed our Sunday morning when we when we got up. This is truly when we got up. Uh, I said, "Wow, Pastor Keith's already preaching his second sermon." And uh, when I was coming home from church, I said, wow, Pastor Keith's preaching his fourth sermon right now. So I felt really bad for him for about 12 seconds. And uh, then realized I'd be here today. But um, want to, as we go into some, a couple of prefatory remarks to, to the sermon, want to tell you and, and welcome those of you that aren't, uh, are new to Marion Methodist, haven't been here before. I'm Pastor Mike, and you saw Pastor Keith and Simon leading our worship service. Want to tell you a little bit, just real briefly, um, where Marion Methodist is going in 2016. Where are we going in 2016? Well, in worship, we're going to start the year um, completing the Gospel of John. We've preached through, uh, after next week, the first 17 chapters, and we'll preach um, through the, cru- the crucifixion, the passion story of Jesus, the resurrection, and his teaching after that time. And then we're going to go right into some teachings about United Methodist Distinctives. You know, we're part of this United Methodist Church, which is a worldwide church, and in May, uh, the worldwide meeting that happens every four years called General Conference will be happening, and I'll actually be going to, uh, as an alternate delegate to that. Um, and uh, so it's important when we're in the news and everything for us to be reminded every few years, and we do this every few years, about what some of our distinctives and essentials are. So we're going to spend some time in the springtime doing that. So that's where our worship is going. Of course, our music and, and prayer ministry will uh, continue on. And then we're also going to continue to call you and draw you to walk a few more steps on the discipleship pathway. A number of years ago, we, we made this, uh, uh, this pathway diagram under, under the care of a number of people on the committee and some great staff people. And really identified that, you know, now there's more than five, probably we identified these five categories of observing and exploring and engaging and deepening and centering of where you might be in your spiritual walk. And then, of course, it goes beyond that. But we online at our Marion Methodist website have a little assessment. It really just takes a couple of minutes where you can kind of identify where you're at uh, on that place. And, and then you might identify groups and, and classes to be on. But <clears throat> this is a simple truth about walking. To walk, you have to commit to moving. First, your mind has to say we're going somewhere. And then it has to collect all this thought process and put it with your arms and your legs. And you actually have to take a step. Physically, Anybody that's rehabbed from anybody knows that's what you have to do. If you're going to walk on the discipleship pathway, you first have to commit to the fact that where I'm at as a disciple right now is not enough. I need to move somewhere. I need to keep going towards Christ. And you can go closer and closer to Christ all the way from now until the moment you walk into your eternity with Him. So we're going to keep walking uh, down that path. And we're also going to witness the... the, the uh, Community of faith gives witness, and we take particular interest in witnessing beyond this building you're sitting in right now. We, we take seriously the notion of witnessing beyond um, 8th Avenue and 12th Street, and we do that through a lot of programs. We have a number of programs that reach out beyond here. We are involved, and you can kind of see some of the logos. This is not at all comprehensive. 
But, but we're going to continue feeding lunch to youth. That's called the FLY program, where we feed lunch to 300 students a day from the Marion and Lenmar School Districts during the summer months. And we're going to continue being involved in Marion Cares that, that, that supports them in some spiritual needs. We're going to continue to be involved in the Marion Senior Living Project. And we're not just going to stay on this side of the various oceans that surround our country. We're also going to reach out through the United Methodist Commission on Relief. You know, this church, Marion Methodist, has been one of the largest givers to the what's called the in-gathering every single year. That's not going to stop. I don't say that by brag because we have ability and capacity, and we should be. And we should be reaching out through giving health supplies and school supplies and all the other kind of things that we're asked for. And then down at the bottom, if you're not familiar with that, that's the flag of Haiti. We're going to continue our partnership and grow that partnership with the people of Haiti, particularly through RTS Ministries uh, and the city of, or the town of Las Cahabas. So we're going to have, through these and a handful of others, programs, we're going to continue to reach out beyond our building. And, and, and then, as importantly, maybe more importantly, we're going to witness to our community by our presence. One of the most important things we can give in our presence is you. You know, there's 2,000 of them. And you know the people in your neighborhoods. You know the people in your workplaces. You know the people in your circle of influence. Keith and I know a few of them, but you know all of them. And so the most important thing that we can do in the city of Marion or any of the surrounding places where we live is to be a witness, to be present for the gospel of Christ and so that people in you see and hear and feel uh, the way of the living Lord. And of course... Uh, our witness is going to extend and expand this year because we're going to build a new place for new people. And we're going to build a new worshiping facility, we pray, at the end of this year, 2016. It is our intention. It is our aim. We have no other. We may get caught up this, that, or the other thing with builders or whatnot. That happens. But it is our aim to begin the process of that building turning ground and, and making a building at the corner of REC Drive and Highway 13 in this year. So that's where we're going. If a church is going places like that, those are big missions, those are big visions, and I'm going to ask for you to right now take a moment, a serious moment, and pray for your church. So will you pray for Marion Methodist for our worship, our walking, and our witness. Let's pray. Um, God, as we come together, we are all yours. And we pray for the mission of Marian Methodist Church. We pray that our worship as a corporate body, our, our singing of songs, the organization of notes, the proclamation of the gospel, the reading of it, and our various prayers, when we gather together as a community, might be fortified by the hearts and minds of all those that gather. And we really come not just to an occasion, but we come to worship you and lean into you and, and aspire to be with you. And Lord, we pray the same thing for our personal witness. Every single one of us in our worship uh, needs to go beyond here. We need to pick up a devotional or read the scriptures or pray every single day and, and have spiritual disciplines in our lives. And in times when nobody else is looking, we need to be attending to the worship of you. And Lord, we need to walk for you. Every single one of us here can walk further with you and closer to you than we have previously. You give us opportunity um, put in our hearts the inclination and the desire to do exactly that. And Lord, we pray that you might extend the witness of this congregation and every single one of us. This is what's up at Marion Methodist, Lord, for your sake. 
Uh, we pray that now in your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, so that's where we're going. Let's talk about where we're at right now. So it's incredibly cold outside today. Did you notice that? When I woke up this morning to shave, it was minus 24 on the windchill. And when I was driving here, you know, my car was sleeping in its nice, relatively warm garage. And, you know, I've got that little digital thing that tells you the temperature. And it's like racing down, down, downwards. Sometimes, sometimes it's dropping slowly. That thing's like going 45, 35, 25. <laughs> and it stopped finally at uh, three below. But um, because of that, I want to say this. I'm glad you're here. And that's not enough. If you're watching football this afternoon, when your team steps on the field, that's not enough. They have to do something once they're there. Walking on the field doesn't win the game. You can't walk into church. I admonish you not to walk into church today and go out to Hy-Vee afterwards and pick up a load of apples or something and say to anybody you see, hey, we went to church today. A lot of people did. We went to church. Okay? That's not enough. This is where it starts. Is you start by coming to the table of Christ's gospel, consuming the feast he offers you, and then going out and living it in the world. So Pastor Keith and I have been working on John chapter 17. And last week I know that he told you it was uh, Jesus, it was the Lord's prayer. And, and he's right in this way, in the sense that this is the prayer the Lord's offered. Uh, and it's his offering to God. And the other prayer that we call the Lord's prayer is a prayer for us. Now, most scholars would call this Jesus' other prayer. And it has three basic components. First, it's like Keith told you last week. He prays to be glorified. Secondly, he prays for his disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then next week, he prays for all believers. Then and in the time to come. So let's look at this prayer. And I promise not to keep you back until the Baptists are done. Jesus prays first, let those... Who receive your message bring me glory. The, the your in this case is the Father. Let those who receive the Father's message bring me, which is Jesus, glory. Now how does that start, guys? How, how does, do we receive messages? The, the most important thing we need to do when it comes to messages is we need to make sure we receive them, that we receive messages from a reliable source. There's messages being sent all the time. I want to tell you this, just in case you get this. I have not and never plan to be in a Filipino jail. So you don't need to send me $2,000 if you get that email, okay? Some of my friends sent me that email. They said that I didn't even know. And then I saw them in town. I said, I thought you were in the Philippines in jail. No, it was a hack, okay? So it was an unreliable message. So if you get those kind of messages, call the church first and say, is Pastor Mike really in the Philippines in jail? You know, and if some king sends you some, you know, a ransom note, don't, don't pay it, okay? Uh, those are not reliable messages. We know about reliable and unreliable messages in our lives all the time. When I was a young youth pastor, I remember my first or second youth group, it was this time of year, and we were sitting there, it was too cold to go outside and play games, we really didn't have ample facilities to run around in, so we played this game called Telephone. You ever played this game? Telephone? You ever played it? Yeah, okay. So... It never works out well. And there's a couple reasons why. So I, I leaned to this girl that was next to us. We were sitting in a circle, you know, 12 or 13 of us. And I leaned into her and I said, I received a valentine in the mail. I received a valentine in the mail. Surely that can go through 12 kids, right? Well, here's the thing. 
There are always in every group people that want to try to transmit the message in a reliable fashion. And there's always what I call a Rich McCarthy in the group. Now, Rich, I always call him Rich McCarthy because he was my first screw-off in youth group ever, all right? You always got those kids that are trying to disrupt stuff. And Rich is, of course, 50 years old now, so he's probably a pretty good adult and all that. He's got a job and a house and everything. But, but it went around the circle, you know. I received a Valentine in the mail. And it got all around to me. And this kid that was sitting next to me had the message. He kind of looked at me because, you know, he, he, he heard what he heard. And he knew he probably shouldn't say that to an old person because I was probably 23 or 24. You know, and he said, he looked at me and I said, what'd they tell you? He said, he said, deceivers eat syrupy snails. How did that become this? Well, that became this because the, the source of reliability kept growing smaller as it went around. See, we have to get our messages from a reliable source. And that every time we, we worship, there's, there's some that, that I know last service we had a couple of Simpson College students and a couple of graduates. I know we have a couple of graduates in here right now. I want to tell you about something. Years ago, I worked at Simpson College. I was a chaplain there for four years. And uh, part of my title as a chaplain was I was the assistant to the president. Now, that's important when it comes to this story. Because at Simpson College, they have this thing. It happens every year. It's called Campus Day. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But Campus Day is this thing that happens between the end of spring break and the end of the semester. And it's a day when the college doesn't have any classes at all. But for a purpose. First, they send a bunch of adults through the dorm, banging pots and pans and through all the housing units, waking the students up, saying, hey, it's campus day, it's campus day, and then making them go or helping them file over to the student center where they're going to put in, be put in teams to go out into the neighborhoods, mostly in Indianola, to older people's homes to kind of unwinterize their homes. You know, it's, during, it's campus day, it's during the spring. So we rake stuff, we put stuff in bags, pick up garbage, all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing about campus day. The president called it, and it was always a secret. It was always a secret what day it was going to be. So, of course, students would be guessing. You guys, when you go to college, don't do this. They'd be saying, oh, I bet it's going to be Wednesday. And the reason they were guessing that was because they had a test that day. They didn't want studies for it, right? Or I hope it's going to be Thursday because I got a paper due that day, and I'm not done. That way it won't be done, due until Tuesday. And everybody would always be guessing, including the faculty. So, so one day, as, as special assistant to the president... I was responsible for the committee that woke people up. So the first person that knew it was campus day was the mayor of the city, and second was me. So, so campus day is coming up. You know, it's April, and everybody's getting excited about it. We're in a faculty meeting. Everybody's making their conjecture as to when campus day is. Oh, I think it's going to be next Friday. Oh, I think it's going to be that. Well, no, the president's out of town. It can't be then. Oh, I think it's going to be this day. No, it's probably rain. Oh, no, we've got the conference baseball tournament here. So I think it's going to be this day. And everybody's guessing, right? So finally, everybody kind of leaves the meeting except about four of my friends. And, and we're talking, and they're all guessing. They say, oh, I think it's going to be this day. I said, do you guys want to know when it is? They're like, no, it's going to be this day or this day. I said, no, do you want to know when it is? I know when it is. Do you want to know? They're like, oh, well, we think it's going to be. I said, listen, the president told me what day it's going to be. Do you want to know when it is? And they kept guessing, and they all left. And I said, well, it's going to be tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to be tomorrow. I knew, because I had the message from a reliable source. I knew from the source of who was calling campus day what day it was going to be on. The disciples are told who God is by Jesus, who's part of God. He's the Son of the Heavenly Father. So when the disciples are being told who God is, they are receiving that from the most reliable source there ever was. All they need to do is pay attention to Him and, and, and understand the reliability with which He brings that message to them. And the message is, bring me glory. 
The message is reliable. And the message is, bring me glory. So what does bring, bring me glory mean to a disciple? The, the message to bring me glory, which means to bring Jesus glory, means that the lives of the disciples are to reveal the character of God. The lives of the disciples then and now are to reveal the character of God. Do you remember Peter the disciple? I know we talk about Peter a lot. Because see, Peter proclaimed himself the leader of the disciples. Lord, I will go with you to the ends of the earth. I will fight to the death for you. And when the moment came and Jesus was up against it being arrested, where was Peter? When Jesus was being tried, where was Peter? He was like, off in the distance. And then he kind of snuck around the edges. And they said, hey, you knew him. No, I don't even know those people. No, hey, you're one of them. No, I wasn't part of that. So his, his character was weak, even though he heard the message of who God was from the most reliable source there was. He was not acting upon it and bringing God glory. But when he saw Jesus resurrect, and when he heard the wind of Pentecost and began to preach, Jesus, Peter stood up then and believed on the most reliable source that there ever was for sharing who God was. He listened intently to that. He sought intimacy, intimacy with it. And throughout his life then, he became a profound witness. He became one who was willing in all of his life to bring God glory. He lived disciple. No matter who was looking at him or for when, from where, no matter what kind of persecution was coming upon, no matter what kind of situation or perspective he was in, people saw in, in Peter one that was living the glory of God. Of God. So I say all that to ask you this. To what does your life bring glory? Our, our lives bring glory to something. So when you look at your own life, if you, as you stand 10 days into 2016, you've got to ask yourself, to what does my life bring glory? How is it, as I begin 2016 and reflect upon this, how is it that I am viewed, no matter how people look at me, are, are they viewing me as one that brings glory to God? See, receivers of the message of God must ask, what do I need to do right now? What do I need to do? Not, not the day after Valentine's, not after Easter sometime, but what do I need to do right now to allow my life to be transformed to one that reveals the character of God in my generation? There's a lot writing on this. The stakes are high, you see, because you have people in your circle of influence. You have people in your family that are broken, they are addicted, they are far from God, and some are feeling quite cut off. And if you don't reveal the glory of God to them, who is going to do that? What are you reflecting in your life. So, so the first thought that Jesus prays is let those who receive your message bring glory to me. The second thing he prays for his disciples is protect them from and for the world. See that picture up there? I used to own that car. We need to be protected from things. This is a picture of one of the scariest days of my life. And I wasn't even in the car. I didn't even own it. When this happened. See, we'd been at a summer games meeting. It's a big camp we run. A lot of us on this church are involved in it. And my, my son-in-law, Cameron Scott, uh, had received that car because I gave it to him. 
And, and Keith and I and, and, and uh, Chad Jennings, Pastor Chad, were driving home from, from Grinnell. We just left Grinnell. We'd gotten on Interstate 80. We were coming east. And, you know, we've been obedient to the message of the day, so we turned our cell phones off, you know. And they were all on stun. But then, of course, we're children of our day, so as we drove away, everybody's turning their phones on. And every single one of us had a message, missed call from Cameron Scott, which I thought that was incredibly weird. And then my phone started ringing, incoming call, Cameron Scott. I had three missed calls on there. And I answered the phone. He said, I said, Cameron, you okay? He says, Dad, I've been in a wreck. I said, what happened? He said, a semi hit me. I freaked out. When, when your son-in-law tells you that he's been in a wreck with a semi, your blood pressure goes way up. My heartbeat went way up. I said, I'm talking to the boy, so I know he's okay. I said, are you okay? Yes. Is everybody else okay? <laughs> Who else was going to get hurt, you know? There's a semi, right? You're always coming in second to that, all right? And, and, and I said, so I turn around. I mean, you know, you're on 80. So it's not like you can just flip around in the median. We had to go like seven miles you know, towards Marion and then turn around. And of course I did it all at the legally allowed maximum speed limit. Um, maybe maybe one, one, one mile an hour under, I don't know. But when I turned the corner onto the main street of Grinnell and I saw that, way up in the parking, way up off the street, my heart just dropped to my feet. I mean, I, I was absolutely stunned because that car is destroyed. You can't really see that front wheel, but it's laying sideways. On there, it wasn't useful to the car at all. The whole driver, the passenger side of that car is 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 knocked in. But praise be to God, I saw Cameron standing there. He had a little blood on his hand, but he was okay. And here's the thing, and I know that Volkswagen has gotten in a lot of trouble for lying about emissions and stuff like that. But if you look at this side, you can kind of see like that car's got a Venetian blind in there. Well, let me tell you what happened. When that semi hit the side of that car, it became like a pillow. All those airbags went off. And it just wrapped Cameron in this big poof. And he was fine. You know, we're fragile. We need to be protected from things. I mean, that's a simple thing. We need to be protected from things that happen in the world. You know, a little Q&A here. How many of you wore a coat today? Yeah, most everybody here thought, I better protect myself from that. It's cold outside. Here's something else I noticed. Every single week we have confirmation. It doesn't matter. I got kids in seventh grade. They walk in in snowshoes and they're wearing basketball shorts, right? I mean, they got, they, they're, they're just wearing shorts. Nobody was here in shorts today. Not one seventh grader wearing shorts today. They were all protecting themselves from, from the weather. We do. We need protection from stuff. We rate our movies in G and PG and PG and 13 and all that kind of stuff because we think it's important to protect the minds and the spirits of little ones from, from images and thoughts that they're not ready to hear because you can't undo seeing something. You can't unhear hearing something. There are things we need to be protected from all the time. And Jesus asked God directly to protect His disciples from things. And I got to tell you guys, he asked him, he, he asked the father to protect, Jesus asked the father to protect his disciples specifically from the evil one, from Satan. See, Satan is no challenge to Jesus. Jesus looks at Satan and he, he doesn't want him around. He's just no problem with Satan. But he doesn't feel the same about us and Satan. See, Satan... 
You know, Jesus knows that Satan is a danger to us. He's a threat to us. He has this incredible guile, which means he knows how to work himself into your life. And he has this incredible allure that that he he can seemingly draw you to things that you know are wrong. He can, he can call to you to do the very things that you know you're not supposed to do and you actually don't want to do, but somehow he's making them attractive to you. And Jesus knew he could do this thing. And another thing that we sometimes forget is Satan has so much more experience in temptation than you have in beating it. He has such a larger portfolio of successes in ruining lives then you have a portfolio of accomplishing your goals. And so Jesus prays that, that the disciples are protected from the wiles of, of Satan. That, that he put a shield up around his disciples to protect them from that which comes to them every day. And then he goes on. He, he not only asks protection from Satan, but then Jesus asks protection for the disciples. For their living in the world. And Jesus says in his prayers, Oh, 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 Father, protect them with the unity that we have. Because Jesus knew his strength was from the unity and intimacy he had with the Father himself. His strength came from that togetherness. And he prays, unite them as we are united. Because he knew for for human beings that intimacy and strength comes from being with one another. It's pretty simple. You've heard this, right? Fill in the blanks. United we... Sand. Divided, weak. And Jesus prays exactly that. He, he knew that, that united the disciples could stand and, and divided they would fall. Now, and I'm not talking about unity of opinion. You know, if we ran out of coffee cups downstairs and I said to the congregation, said, said to you all, hey, go out and run buy a hundred coffee cups. Go buy a hundred coffee cups for church, bring them back here. Do you think we'd all get the same brand? Some of you would say, I don't drink coffee, I don't bring no cups. But we get red cups, blue cups, every kind of cup. But, and that's not talking the unity of, of same opinion. We're talking about unity of same heart. That our heart is in Christ and our intimacy comes from there. Because God knows we are simply better together. And we need constantly to be prayed for, for God's protection of our unity. Jesus prays for his disciples. Disciples, you see, are set apart within the world. They're set apart, Jesus' disciples are set apart because they're equipped with the Holy Spirit and readied by the Word of God to enter the world without being victimized by its darkness. You see, there's this expression that we always use, and I teach students this all the time. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. It took me a long time to understand what that meant. What's it mean to be in the world, but not of it? You're a part of it, but you're not parts of it. Well, the... This came to me in an experience a long time ago. I, I want to tell you about something that happened when I was in junior high school. And it's dumb. Because, you know, I'm from here. I'm a city. How many of you farm kids? Not very many. Enough. Okay. There's enough of you that know this that you're going to laugh at me out loud for that. And that's okay. But this is one of those stories because, like, my uncle ran what was called the Spencer Dairy Cattle Exchange. Now, what a dairy cattle exchange is just exactly that. It's where people go to exchange cows. So it's this big um, arena where cows were auctioned off. But, but beside that were several barns, and in those barns were all these stalls where cattle were kept to milk. Now, they didn't live there. They were just there for a day or two while they were getting ready to get sold or they were getting ready to get picked up by a semi to take them where they were. 
So all these cows would come in here and they had to be milked in the interim before the sale was coming and after the sale happened. So of course my Uncle Lowell, he had milk machines and all this kind of stuff. And, and my aunt says to me, my, my, my cousin John and I always had chores and we'd stay up there for a few weeks in the summer. She said to me, go tell your Uncle Lowell you need some cream. And she handed me like a cereal bowl. Like, okay, I walked out there. I don't know what cows the cream come out of. I don't know. I'm looking for the cream cow or whatever. I go to my Uncle Lowell. I said, Lowell, Aunt Gretchen wants some cream. And he grabs this pitcher. He kind of dusts it off. It's a glass pitcher. And he, he kneels down, kind of, you know, like you do in your milk. And he just quickly fills that thing up from the cow with this milk. And he says, here. And he says, get the cream out of it. Take it to her. What? You know, so I'm standing there looking at it, and there's stuff moving around in there. I mean, there's little things floating in there, kind of like little tadpoles and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, I'm from here. I'm a city kid. You, you know where the cream's at, right? hy V. Okay? So, so I, I think, well, i got to get the cream out of there, because we're scared of my Aunt Gretchen, you know. And so I have this bowl, and I'm like, what do you do? So I stick my hand down in there, and I'm going through there trying to grab the cream. I'm 12, what do I know, right? I'm going through that, and, and my cousin comes along, and he had no intention of helping me. And he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting the cream out. And he said, you're an idiot. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, look, the cream's right in there. I said, I know the cream's in there. I'm trying to get it out. He says, it's obvious. It's in there, right? And he says, yeah. And he says, just stand back. It'll come up. And, it, you know, we stood there for five minutes. And sure enough, if you know anything about milk and cream, it just rose to the top. You take the bowl. You scrape it off the top. You take it to your aunt. And everybody's happy. Right? That, that's, that's how you do that. See, disciples. But the, the thing of it is, the cream was in there with all the rest of the stuff. See, disciples, we're the same way. We're in there with everybody else. We're in the midst of the world, but we're not of it. And if we're living what Christ tells us to live, we will rise up. We'll rise up in the midst of the world in which we live and we'll rise to the top of the world in which we live. Because if if we are seeking to be disciples, we should be obvious. And the question is then, are we? Is it obvious to everybody that you see in a day that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is it obvious in the midst of the world that you're a disciple of Jesus And that you're doing everything that you can to be holy, which means simply to to gain separation from the world in such a way because you're fearlessly aligned to God's purposes for life. The world's going to be hostile to the message of the gospel. The, The world is going to be hostile to the telling of the truth, but it cannot be stopped. Because here's the third thing that Jesus prayed, and this is what we'll go home on. Jesus says, you sent me, now I send you on. You sent me. He's talking to God the Father. You sent me. Now I send them. That's a pretty simple message, isn't it? This was my message to them. I'm the reliable source. I gave them protection from the world. I gave them protection for the world. Now I send them into the world. And that's for us. I, I years ago, had an associate. Her name was Cindy. Associate pastor. And at the little church in Webster City, uh, we had, it was about half the size of this church. But our associate's parsonage was physically connected to the church. You did not have to go outside to go from Cindy's house into the church. So her, her mom, Charlotte, would come and stay for a few weeks during the year every once in a while. She was a retired woman, wonderful Christian saint. And Charlotte would, you'd hear her coming 
because there was a hallway. It was old. You'd hear coming up the steps. And the way that church was, it was the hallway to the parsonage, then this set of steps, then my office, and then everything else. So she came right by my office, and when she would come into the church, she would always kind of stop, and she was a formidable woman, she'd kind of stop in your door and just look at you. And of course, I'd be back at my desk or something, she'd say, Now, Michael, what for the gospel are we up to today? And she wasn't saying hello. She wanted to know what for the gospel I was up to today. And so I remember thinking, man, I better start writing stuff down when I hear those footprints so I can get the right grade on this quiz. But I remember one day she came up and she said, well, Michael, what for the gospel are we up to today? And I told her the things that were going to be part of the pastor's life that day. And then she just looked at me and kind of folded her arms and said, Well, all right then. Carry on. And she walked off. You know, this is what we're being sent to today. The Lord says, the message comes to you from a reliable source. You're protected from that which comes to you. You're protected for that which you're in the midst of. And you're on the mission of bringing salvation to the world. This is God's plan for you. This is why you're here for. And the question is, are you up for that in the gospel today? Because if you are, if that's what you're up for in the gospel today, the Lord simply looks at you and says, well, all right then. Carry on. Let's pray. God, you invite us to carry on your mission in every instance and in every circumstance. You bless your disciples with your prayer. And you bless us with your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that we might be found faithful. And that we might be the ones that, for your sake, carry on your message and your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.